This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of The Wonderful Window by Lord Dunsany. It's read by John Feaster. It runs 11 minutes, and we will be discussing it afterwards. The Wonderful Window by Lord Dunsany Read by John Feaster The old man and the oriental-looking robe was being moved on by the police, and it was this that attracted to him and the parcel under his arm the attention of Mr. Sladen, whose livelihood was earned in the emporium of Messrs. Mergen and Chater, that is to say, in their establishment. Mr. Sladen had the reputation of being the silliest young man in business. A touch of romance, a mere suggestion of it, would send his eyes gazing away as though the windows of the Emporium were of gossamer, and London itself a myth, instead of attending to customers. Merely the fact that the dirty piece of paper that wrapped the old man's parcel was covered with Arabic writing was enough to give Mr. Sladen the ideas of romance and he followed until the little crowd fell off, and the stranger stopped by the curb and unwrapped his parcel and prepared to sell the thing that was inside it. It was a little window, in old wood, with small panes set in lead. It was not much more than a foot in breadth, and was under two feet long. Mr. Sladen had never before seen a window sold in the street, so he asked the price of it. "'Its price is all you possess,' said the old man. "'Where did you get it?' said Mr. Sladen, for it was a strange window. I gave all that I possessed for it in the streets of Baghdad. Did you possess much? said Mr. Sladen. I had all that I wanted, he said, except this window. It must be a good window, said the young man. It is a magical window, said the old one. I have only ten shillings on me, but I've fifteen and six at home. The old man thought for a while. Then twenty-five and sixpence is the price of the window, he said. It was only when the bargain was completed, and the ten shillings paid, and the strange old man was coming for his fifteen and six, and to fit the magical window into his only room, that it occurred to Mr. Sladen's mind that he did not want a window. And then they were at the door of the house in which he rented a room, and it seemed too late to explain. The stranger demanded privacy when he fitted up the window, so Mr. Sladen remained outside the door at the top of the little flight of creaky stairs. He heard no sound of hammering. And presently the strange old man came out, with his faded yellow robe and his great beard, and his eyes on far-off places. "'It is finished,' he said, and he and the young man parted, and whether he remained a spot of color and an anachronism in London, or whether he ever came again to Baghdad and what dark hands kept on the circulation of his twenty-five and six, Mr. Sladen never knew. Mr. Sladen entered the bare-boarded room in which he slept, and spent all his indoor hours between closing time and the hours at which Mr.'s Mergen and Chater commenced. To the penates of so dingy a room, his neat frock coat must have been a continual wonder. Mr. Sladen took it off and folded it carefully, and there was the old man's window, rather high up on the wall. There had been no window in that wall hitherto, nor any ornament at all, but a small cupboard, so when Mr. Sladen had put his frock coat safely away, he glanced through his new window. It was where his cupboard had been, in which he kept his tea-things. They were all standing on the table now. When Mr. Sladen glanced through his new window, it was late in a summer's evening. The butterflies some while ago would have closed their wings, though the bat would scarcely yet be drifting abroad. But this was in London, and the shops were shut, and the street lamps not yet lighted. Mr. Sladen rubbed his eyes, then rubbed the window and still he saw a sky of blazing blue, and far, far down beneath him, so that no sound came up from it or smoke of chimney, a medieval city set with towers, brown roofs and cobbled stones, and then white walls and buttresses, and beyond them bright green fields and tiny streams. On the towers archers lolled, and along the walls were pikemen, and now and then a wagon went down some old-world street and lumbered through the gateway and out to the country, 
and now and then a wagon drew up to the city and the mist that was rolling with the evening over the fields. Sometimes folks put their heads out of lattice windows. Sometimes some idle troubadour seemed to sing, and nobody hurried or troubled about anything. Airy and dizzy though the distance was, for Mr. Sladen seemed higher above the city than any cathedral gargoyle, yet one clear detail he obtained as a clue. The banners, floating from every tower over the idle archers, had little golden dragons all over a pure white field. He heard motor-buses roar by his window. He heard the newsboys howling. Mr. Sladen grew dreamier than ever after that on the premises and the establishment of Mr.'s Mergen and Chater. But in one matter he was wise and wakeful. He made continuous and careful inquiries about the golden dragons on a white field, and talked to no one of his wonderful window. He came to know the flags of every king in Europe. He even dabbled in history. He made inquiries at shops that understood heraldry, but nowhere could he learn any trace of little dragons or on a field of argent. And when it seemed that for him alone those golden dragons had fluttered, he came to love them as an exile in some desert might love the lilies of his home, or as a sick man might love swallows when he cannot easily live to another spring. And soon, as Mr. Smirgan and Chater closed, Mr. Sladen used to go back to his dingy room and gaze through the wonderful window until it grew dark in the city, and the guard would go with a lantern round the ramparts, and the night came up like velvet full of strange stars. Another clue he tried to obtain one night by jotting down the shapes of the constellations, but this led him no further, for they were unlike any that shone upon either hemisphere. Each day, as soon as he woke, he went first to the wonderful window, and there was the city, diminutive in the distance, all shining in the morning, and the golden dragons dancing in the sun, and the archers stretching themselves or swinging their arms on top of the windy towers. The window would not open, so that he never heard the songs that the troubadour sang down there beneath the gilded balconies. He did not even hear the belfry's chimes, though he saw the jackdaws routed every hour from their homes. And the first thing that he always did was to cast his eyes upon all the little towers that rose up from the ramparts, to see that the little golden dragons were flying there on their flags. And when he saw them flaunting themselves on white fields from every tower against the marvelous deep blue of the sky, he dressed contentedly and, taking one last look, went off to his work with a glory in his mind. It would have been difficult for the customers of Mr. Smirgan and Chater to guess the precise ambition of Mr. Sladen as he walked before them in his neat frock coat. It was that he might be a man-at-arms or an archer in order to fight for the little golden dragons that flew on a white flag for an unknown king in an inaccessible city. At first Mr. Sladen used to walk round and round the mean street that he lived in, but he gained no clue from that, and soon he noticed that quite different winds blew below his wonderful window from those that blew on the other side of the house. In August, the evenings began to grow shorter. This was the very remark that the other employees made to him at the Emporium, so that he almost feared that they suspected his secret, and he had much less time for the wonderful window, for lights were few down there, and they blinked out early. One morning, late in August, just before he went to business, Mr. Sladen saw a company of pikemen running down the cobbled road towards the gateway of the medieval city. Golden Dragon City, he used to call it, alone in his mind, but he never spoke of it to anyone. The next thing that he noticed was that the archers were handing round bundles of arrows in addition to the quivers which they wore. Heads were thrust out of the windows more than usual. A woman ran out and called some children indoors. A knight rode down the street, and then more pikemen appeared along the walls, and all the jackdaws were in the air. In the street no troubadour sang. Mr. Sladen took one look round the towers to see that the flags were flying, and all the golden dragons were streaming in the wind. He had to go to business. He took a bus back that evening and ran upstairs. Nothing seemed to be happening in Golden Dragon City except a crowd in the cobbled streets that led down to the gateway. The archers seemed to be reclining as usual, lazily in their towers. And then a white flag went down with all its golden dragons. He did not see at first that all the archers were dead. The crowd was pouring towards him, towards the precipitous wall from which he looked. Men with a white flag covered with golden dragons were moving backwards, slowly. Men with another flag were pressing them, a flag on which there was one huge red bear. Another banner went down upon a tower. 
Then he saw it all. The golden dragons were being beaten, his little golden dragons. The men of the bear were coming under the window. Whatever he threw from that height would fall with terrific force. Fire irons, coal, his clock, whatever he had, he would fight for his little golden dragons yet. A flame broke out from one of the towers and licked the feet of a reclining archer. He did not stir, and now the alien standard was out of sight directly underneath. Mr. Sladen broke the panes of the wonderful window and wrenched away with a poker the lead that held them. Just as the glass broke, he saw a banner covered with golden dragons fluttering still. And then, as he drew back to hurl the poker, there came to him the scent of mysterious spices, and there was nothing there. Not even the daylight, for behind the fragments of the wonderful window was nothing but the small cupboard in which he kept his tea-things. And though Mr. Sladen is older now, and knows more of the world, and even has a business of his own, he has never been able to buy such another window and has not ever since, either from books or men, heard any rumor at all of Golden Dragon City. Hi, I'm Jesse. My name is John Feaster. And we are going to be talking about The Wonderful Window by Lord Dunsany, first published in Saturday Review, uh, that's a UK publication, probably a newspaper, February 4th, 1911. Uh, and I think, I think this is the secret story, the secret story behind all of modern fantasy. That's my theory. But first, I want to ask you a question, John. Yes. Do you listen to podcasts? Yes, I do. I know you don't have an iPhone, so this won't exactly apply to you. But when you do get an iPhone, you're going to want to get this app, the Downcast app which is a app for iPhone, iPad. You've told me uh, about this. Yeah, it's a great app. It's it's our sponsor. And it's a it's an app that doesn't take up much space on your iPhone, but will take up a lot of space in your mind because you're going to be using it all the time like me. I use it all the time to check up on new podcasts. You can hear the sound of it going. It goes through all my feeds. Uh all I think I've got like yeah, 32 currently updating feeds and it'll check and see if anything's new and you can do that as often as you want you can check every three seconds if you want um, but you can also set it to automatically check at a certain time of day or at a certain location because your iphone comes with uh, a gps tracker or a wi-fi uh, at least tracker you can set it to download for example at your home in the morning or at work right before you leave work you can set it to download at the library if that's where you get your free Wi-Fi. You can get get it so that it downloads at the airport, even when there is no free Wi-Fi. You can super customize your po- podcast listening experience, and you can set the files. This is something you can never do in the old uh, music app to automatically stay on your iPhone. So oh. I, I listen to audio drama when I go to sleep, and... <laughs> for a long time, what would happen is I would listen to the story, whatever story it was, maybe Red Panda, uh, Decoder Ring Theater, and I'm listening to that, and I'd fall asleep about three minutes in because it puts me to sleep, because that's what it's for. It's designed to make me sleep. But I love the story, and so I want to hear the rest of it. The next night, I would have to re-download the file, because it would every time I sync my iPhone, it would delete all the ones that had been listened to. But with this new app, Downcast, you don't have to do that. You can set it so that you can permanently lock it onto your phone or you can make it uh, just stay on your phone as long as you want. You can, you can customize it up to yin-yang. It's really great. Well, back to our story, The Wonderful Window. Yes. I was saying that I think that this is the key to understanding all science fiction, no, not science fiction, all fantasy fiction from the 21st century. Well, certainly binge-watching. Would, <laughs> would, you, would you go that far, or would you? Do you think I'm delusional? Well, in that context, I suppose it's not just Dunsany, it's the original illustrator who is, who is um, as responsible for this. If I remember correctly, he didn't write the story itself he looked at an illustration by Sidney Syme. Is that how he pronounced his name? Yeah, and I think. he based the story on the illustration. 
I've not seen this illustration, and I'm fascinated about it. I have searched all over trying to find some, but yeah. I've not found one. No. I've made some myself. It's got to be out there somewhere. I would love to see that. I, I looked at the original, not the newspaper, but the uh, the first book publication, the Book of Wonder. Um, a chronicle, yeah, a chronicle of the little adventures at the edge of the world, which has a lot of great stories in it. It's it's a it's a genuinely great collection of stories. Honestly, Dunsany, I am so shocked that he isn't better known today. That he, oh yeah. It, it, see, it seems to me criminal that so many fantasy, so many fans of fantasy don't read his work. He doesn't have a champion. Exactly. His last legitimate champion was, uh, let's see, well, Lovecraft, yeah. possibly Tolkien, but I... Barely. Yeah, yeah. But Tolkien, you know, nobody can hear Tolkien over his, his own books, Precisely. right? Precisely. Um, that's why uh, I was, I was going to save it for the end, but I, I, that's why I think that there needs to be a new podcast, and the new podcast host needs to be named John Feaster. Oh, for pity's sakes. And I've even got a title for you. I think this is a really, really great title. Appendix N. (laughs) Actually, that's beautiful. I know, isn't it? It, (sighs) We, We might need to explain this for some people. Why would this... I mean, first of all, it's a terrible title for a regular if you want to be a popular podcast, because nobody would know what it means. But if select few people would know what Appendix N is, what is Appendix N, Mr. Uh, John Feaster? Oh, cripes. A moment. This is... It's... Referencing it makes me me think of it, but honestly, I'm I'm losing the... I'm losing the... It's in the Dungeon Master's Guide from the first edition of... AD. cripes. And it's... Right between sandwich, right between well, appendix well, let me, L. Let me pick up oh, my, sorry, M, my and copy. O. Appendix M and O of the Dungeon Master's Guide, which those are like tables for hit points mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Whereas Appendix N is something a little different. It's the it, it wasn't that the collection of the uh, the inspirations, the thing, the things to exactly. The, Actually, I believe that is the first time I saw reference to Dunsany's name. Period. I think that I think that it's a a great idea for a podcast, and I'm seriously suggesting that you take up this mantle. Now, if you do not, um, someone else must do it. But I think you're the perfect guy for it. <sighs> um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, you have to read all the stories on there. Mm. I think you just look at that list and say, here's something to talk about. Oh, good. good, good. Because it's an amazing list. Gary Gygax had really good taste. He, I, I definitely think he was, he was a completist when it, when, it, when it came to good fiction. And you, you see it in there. Granted, there's, you know, humble duds. But at the same, at the same point in time, he... he well, I, I, I think of it, he, he might have been... He might have been Dunsany's last champion, really. Yeah, it's possible. I've got the I've got the list here. Um, it starts. It's in alphabetical order. It goes. Mm-hmm. Paul Anderson. It names some stories, including the High Crusade, which is a great book. Uh, the Broken Sword, which I'd like to do a podcast on because I've never even read it. Um, John Belair's. I've never heard of him, but it specifically calls out the Face in the Frost. Lee Brackett, Frederick Brown. Edgar Rice Burroughs, specifically calling out Pellucidar, Mars, and Venus, uh, Lynn Carter's World's End series, Elspreg de Camp, Less Darkness Fall, Fallible Fiend et al., uh, de Camp and Pratt, Harold Shea series, and the Carnelian Cube. I've not heard of those, but see, I want to hear about these. Uh, it, the, the, it calls out just in general. And then Lord Dunsany. The names were evocative enough that they that they made you want to read them. It seems like it. Yeah, I mean, without even knowing, if you happen to come across this, I was a player, not a dungeon master, mm-hmm. so I didn't I didn't discover it myself until uh, somebody was getting rid of their Dungeons and Dragons books, and I said, "I'll take them." <laughs> oh, hey, look! He recommends The Hobbit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm being obnoxious of that. No, of, but I mean, at the time, it was totally something you could recommend. Oh right? yes, I, I, I always felt I would I would have been I would have been um, more pleased if he recommended some something 
really obscure, like his Green Knight. A lot Knight of these are really obscure. Oh, no, no. I mean, with... Sterling with Lanier. Who is Sterling Lanier? Well, he specifically call, calls out a book called Hero's Journey. H-I-E-R-O. I've never heard of that. All but caps. I'm betting that it's good. Um, uh, he calls out a lot of people just by name, but he also calls out specific works in some cases. Um, he calls it Lord of the Rings the Ring Trilogy, right? Um, I like the ones that he ref- he references just just the name of the person because honestly, you don't have to pick yep. an individual story. Exactly. Stanley Weinbaum. Well, he only has one story. <laughs> well, that's not true, but really, he he. he um, maybe I'm missing it, but I don't think he's he's the master. Uh, he's got one really great story, and uh, it's not even that great. But but this list is great, and it totally tells you what. Um, yeah, it's called Appendix N: Inspirational and Educational Reading. Um, I don't think that that's what we have here in this story. I don't think it's inspirational or oh, it's soul crushing. Uh, I yeah, especially at the end. But I think it's more. I mean, this is one of the things that Lovecraft and Dunsany sort of shared was a sort of a bleak outlook with regard to uh, the human condition. Um, it's reflective, I would say. Well, uh, did, I'm assuming that I'm assuming everybody's read the story. Yes, everybody has now heard the story and they are ready to understand it. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty simple. It's all really out there, right? Now, someone, I don't... Was it Joshi who said that breaking the window represented his the, the death of wonder and he and his... Um, his well, and he moves on to, to in business and while he thinks of the window, he's no longer obsessed business, with the window. Right? I personally think that that's... I think that's bullshit. Just I think that it happens way too often. People say things like that. I think that it doesn't. That's represent, one way to read. It. Absolutely, and it I think doesn't it's represent the death of wonder. It represents, I think, the inaccessibility of our fantasies, the things yeah. we what not so much. He ex, he doesn't really accept. Oh well, that's something I can't ever think. No, it's taken away from him. It's he he watches the thing he loved be destroyed, but I think it's way more complex than that. I, I, I'm looking through all my notes here, and I'm thinking the Arabic man who sells him the window, who traded all he had for the window. Do yeah. you think that when he looked through the window that he saw Golden Dragon City, or was, land, yeah. was Golden Dragon City? It, 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 is Golden Dragon City actually inside the mind, if you will, inside the soul of Mr. Slayton himself? Mm-hmm. If you looked in the window, if I looked in the window, if Lovecraft looked in the window, wouldn't we see something different? I, I know it's not, it's not implied that way in the story, but in the story you really only get one, person, one se- person's central opinion. Would... <sighs> Would the well, Arabic why, gentleman have have why, wanted to why see is that? the Arabic gentleman, as you call him? Uh, I, I want to call him the Magi. <laughs> Magi is a good term. I just I don't know. I wasn't certain. Uh, the 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 Shahrazad salesman. Yes. Uh, why is he selling the window? Well, he's selling it because it it was uh, it was soul crushing, right? I, I mean, he he's got to recover. Something from it. He went into business selling windows. Um, I think it, I think one way to read it is it's about writing. It's about writing fantasies, which uh, our friend Lord Dunsany was very familiar with. And I think it's also about reading fantasies. And I think it's about the interaction between your reading life and your real life. I mean, that's certainly what's going on there. But I also think that it's about Game of Thrones and people getting addicted to watching Game of Thrones. So much so that they have trouble going to work. I, well, I was thinking, in, in his context, is he, well, he can't be thinking about television. That No, but it seems of, like television to us, right? He, exactly. He, I, I figure that he was thinking of it from the point of view of um, books 
But not, not not simply books, because books are one thing. This is a continuing thing. Maybe he, maybe he was thinking of the concepts of uh, of chat books, of, of books issued, you know, bit yep. by bit by Street bit line. outlet. Exactly. Yep. I, and if you miss a portion of it, you miss part of the story, right? That's, precisely. That's, this is why he has to watch at all times because yep. he lacks a DVR for his window and can't simply watch it as his convenience later. And he also can't find anybody who's even heard of this. Nobody is like some guy reading, uh, you know, whatever fantasy epic that he thinks is great. And he's talking to all his friends and they're like, what fantasy epic? I, I, I watch sports. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm paying attention to what's going on in Gambia right now. The but news he in Gambia is amazing. But he doesn't even talk about this to anyone else. Indeed, he's nervous when someone makes a comment about how how um, the August days are growing shorter, and he thinks it, that the fellow might n- he thinks it might be a reference to his window mm-hmm. or his uh, well, so, da, 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 da. let's see. Uh, sorry, 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 winter is coming, you precisely. You know, and winter is coming. <laughs> this is uh, it. Totally is. It, it seems to me like. What happened was George R. R. Martin read this story a long time ago, completely forgot about it. And then he said, one day I'm going to have a television show. <laughs> and people are going to recreate. Nobody could, have pre- nobody could have predicted the success of Game of Thrones. Honestly, I look at Game of Thrones. I'm it's, joking. I'm joking. It's, it seems like a magical thing that it can be so successful across the board with so many people. It, and anyway, and yet alienate so many fans of the original work because it doesn't follow it exactly. Mm. Well, uh, uh, in its success, it kind of undercuts the the premise as well because this is a private thing, right? His his private interests. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a wonderfully written story. Uh, you can see Lord Dunsany's the master. I, I've read other things of his that have left me a little cooler, but I've. I've read some poetry of his that is, or pro, uh, when he's doing, sometimes when he's writing his prose poems, like I think this one almost is a prose poem, mm. are incredibly powerful because of the brush strokes are very deft. They're subtle in a way that uh, most writing today is not. And he can say a lot and imply a lot. And, the, and this is almost like a fairy tale that, is much more um, devastating than most fairy tales are. Uh, this is a, it. Can, it can be taken as such a depressing story, but I think in it's. A, I think it's only depressing if you if you look at it purely from his point of view. Does it affect everyone this way? Uh, the, the window is still in, is still intact when the mag, when the magi sells it. So. How long has this window existed? Is the window a metaphor for something? Uh, now, yeah. I, don't, I don't just mean to us out here in the story. Of course it is. I mean in the world of the story itself. Does the mm-hmm. window look the same? I noticed that the, that the Magi, good term, I'll, I'll keep using that, it's mostly Arabic <laughs> gentlemen. I noticed that the, that the Magi has to be alone to fit the window into the wall. It implies I... to me in some way that maybe the Magi isn't the last person to own the window, maybe he's the person who distributes the window. It's like, uh, like it's not, like it's if you not saw, like three uh, the monkey's paw thing, right? It's not like the 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 curse of the monkey's paw, but it's more like he's a, he's a window salesman. He goes around from town to town selling these windows. Well, I, only only perhaps to those people. He attra- he knew exactly how to attract the attention of Mister Sladen. Without trying to attract the attention, the 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 robes which the, the, which I, did yeah, oh. everybody see the yellow robes. Mm-hmm. Did, 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 the, the the fact that the window is wrapped in uh, in part in parchment covered that the that the parcel is covered with Arabic writing. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was enough to give Mister Sladen the ideas of romance. You have to be susceptible to it, right? So there, there were other people on the street that day. The police didn't seem to care. Right, you have to be susceptible to it, and if you are susceptible to it, uh, the message is you will be crushed in the end. But well, you will I be in hope the, not. In the short, <laughs> in the short, <laughs> well, that's the message of the story. I'm not 
I think that's the message of the story. Oh, no, no, I think that is the message of, message of the story, but I was... I'm wondering if he only sees what he sees because of because of his mood and temperament, because of because of his, his feelings. Uh, mm. is, so he's saying, like, if if uh, somebody who liked Oprah's TV shows was well, sold the one window, she would see like Lifetime network style dramas. Let's or? not go that far. Let's say, like, if it were sold to a young lady who was very in- who was very interested in. Uh, in, in gossip and such, perhaps she would look through the window and see a, 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 a seemingly eternal story that she could, despite the fact it is happening from it's such a opera. distance, <laughs> despite the fact it is happening from such a distance, that he can look down at that city. I mean, think about it. it, it it's a distance shot. High mm-hmm. above a city, he can mm-hmm. see people he assumes are troubadours and soldiers and such, and the people in this those buildings and such. You can see a ton of stuff. But everything that he's seeing, he's really a, he's telling the story to it to the support exactly. The, the The story is at least it, is mostly in his head since he can't even hear or hear anything going on in the world of of Golden Dragon City. It's silent pictures Precise. on the silver screen, right? Yes, but at that sense, I don't believe. Let's see. Now, silent pictures would have existed in 1911. Were, yeah, they yeah, were. yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Silent pictures. Uh, let's see. But this, the thing is, is it's not really because the thing about a, a window, as opposed to like a, a a television screen, is when you go up to a window, you change the angle of your head as approaching to the window. You can see different stuff, right? So at some points in the story, he is seeing the constellations and mapping them, right? Mm-hmm. And then other points in the story, he's he can see directly beneath the window. So it's a real window. It's a window to another world. Um, in in maybe the same way as if you know the Wells story um, called the Crystal Egg. Mm, yes, uh, that's a window to Mars. In in the same way, I I'm not sure what the chronology is on this, but whereas that story is a science fiction version of this story. Mm-hmm. This story is a fantasy version of that story. I like the egg to Mars. I'm sorry, sorry I like the crystal egg. It's just... This this story, I felt, was... Oh, it's much for, better. For, for, one, for one thing, they don't try to go, in, go into so much detail about it. This is such... This is such There's a no nice... A yeah. nice story. Oh, it's beautiful. But then, and, yeah, that's that's most of his fiction for the time period. Pagana and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I nice, want to read a lot more Dunsany. Nice, short little stories that will take five pages at most in, in general. So, uh, uh, one of the researches I was doing for this story, um, uh, and for a while now I've had a, a pet theory that I really like about um, the opening credit sequence of, of uh, Game of Thrones, and every time I tell this story nobody sees it. Um, I don't tell it online very much, but I, I've told it in, in real life to people who watch the show, and they just don't get it. Or if they do, they don't seem to care. <laughs> so hopefully you'll care a little more. Somebody on the internet will care. Well, um, let me know. Basically, um, if you watch the opening credit sequence, it starts with the sun, right? Yes. And it has the four houses, uh, which are matched somewhat in this story. Uh, there's the golden dragon uh, and the red bear, right? Those are two in, in the wonderful window. In this case, we've got four houses. There's the stag, the wolf, uh, dragon, and I don't know, maybe another animal. I think a lion, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's stag, a lion. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and those are the four houses in competition for the, the titular game of throne, uh, the throne that's the game being fought over, right? Yeah. Um, and the world is then revealed by pulling out from the sun so that we can see these uh, clockwork style um, or uh, orrery. You know what an orrery is? Yes. You know what an orrery is? Yes. For the people who don't know what an orrery is, uh, it's a model of the solar system. Uh, and there's multiple ways of doing it, often with the sun at the center or the earth at the center. Ptolemaic. Uh, okay. Well, no, the, the, uh, the sun at the center is a, is a, is a Ptolemaic, um, Ptolemaic system. system. Yeah. 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 Uh, or Copernican system, your choice, right? Well, um, Copernican is... What, wait, wait. 
Ptolemaic is the Earth in the center. Sorry, Ptolemaic is the Earth in the center. Apologize. None of them are right, is the main thing. It's because they're models. Mm -hmm. And they typically have uh, what are called epicycles uh, to explain the... um, uh, often early ones have epicycles that is little spinning parts uh, on the other orbits mm-hmm. blah 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 right getting down into what all those details are are not super important except in this opening credit sequence we've got the pulling out from the sun and we see these moving uh pieces like little uh orbital orbital clockworks. parts yes the clockworks but i see them as shades i see them as shades on uh, in the same way that Ringworld has uh, an internal ring with shades, and that the entire rest of the opening credit sequence is a showing of the inside of a Dyson sphere of of this world. Now, there's problems with this because they have uh, in the actual show, I believe they have constellations and such. And uh, if you were inside a Dyson sphere, you wouldn't have constellations that were constant. You might have fires on other continents. Etc. But the metaphor is a metaphor, and it continues with them pulling away from the sun and down towards the uh, Westeros or whatever it's called. And they get in close, and you can see the curvature of the Earth, but it's in the opposite direction. Instead of being curved away, it's curved in. Mm -hmm. And I heard one person explain, well, that's just the effect of the fisheye lens. I'm like, I understand that. But I'm making an argument, and the argument continues, saying that um, as you see those cities, they unwind in a clockwork fashion, right? They build up in a clockwork fashion, and it jumps around from city to city in what looks like a very primitive sort of um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons style hex system. Yes. Right. Uh, so, well, wouldn't the special effects be better if? Well, they're not trying to make them better. They're not trying to make them more realistic. They're trying to show the mechanistic unplaying that the plot of the book is, the books are trying to do, right? But if you create this artificial world, right, that George R.R. Martin has, there's no explanation. It's not Earth a long time ago, like Tolkien half ass did with The Hobbit, right? Yeah. Wow. And then later abandoned for for uh, and rightly so later abandoned for Lord of the Rings. There's no um, and today hobbits are found in in little cubby holes. <laughs> There's none of that, right? It's a completely separate universe. Um, in this case, that metaphor of the enclosed universe in which we get a little peek each week on HBO for an hour or so <laughs> is a metaphor for. <laughs> For the wonderful window. What do you think? Brilliant? Hmm. Or, or am I just... Well, over- first, first of all, your concept of a Dyson sphere, uh, this is just something that pops in, into very my head. Small, very, I'm not very thinking... Maybe it's not a Dyson sphere. Maybe it's, if you will, a bowl. Uh, it could be, yeah. But that who's would be- to know? Who's to know? That could explain the um, the constellations, I guess. Just 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 something. No, but it doesn't show the edge, right? That's no, what I was concerned it, it, about. It doesn't show the edge, but at the same point, I'm, I think of well, first off, I think of the whole cl- clockwork. You mean you mean what does it symbolize for it? I'd say it's, I'd say that's as good a theory as any. If we were to look at it from that point of view, I would see the the everything set up there as something that may actually exist in the home of some fantastically wealthy Lannister or mm-hmm. or so, or someone on, on the mainland. Perhaps perhaps there is there is such a map as that in say Karth, for example. I I also like I also like that But you have uh, to understand right I also have I also have dozens of weird pet theories about Game of Thrones anyway. I think that uh right up there I, I will see the characters that are like, oh my God, that guy's clearly based on the Kingpin from Marvel Comics and so <laughs> forth. Well, right, right up there on the sun, right? It doesn't say, you know, uh, this peasant and that peasant. It's these four houses that matter, Those, right? Exactly. It's literally, it's literally the kings are selected by God. In this case, the God being George R. R. Martin, this whole clockwork, or whoever creates the show in combination with George R. R. Martin, is this whole clockwork system of, uh, I mean, you can overread it, but I think the, the reason why that's a great credit sequence 
as opposed to, you know, lots of other credit sequences, which are fine or pretty. Like, uh, like for example, Dexter has a nice credit sequence, right? It, it's just his morning routine, I think, is, is literally what it's called. You know, he gets up and he makes breakfast, but everything he does is murder, right? He's murdering his shoes, he's murdering his breakfast, he's murdering his coffee, right? Um, with uh, this, it's it's I think it plays out much more like a metaphor that the wonderful window is going for, right? It's about the reading experience, it's about the writing experience, it's about the creation experience of a world, a secondary world that when you finish reading The Lord of the Rings, you feel you say, "Oh my God, it's over." I oh also it's gone. Oh my God, I'll never have it again. I, and I even. Did- have it again, it's never going to be the first time again. I 100% agree with that interpretation. I I, I had a, have a feeling when, when I read this story, and think about this, um, you you read you read books, of course you read books, and you might read a book, and there's and these are the things that happen, and then you become you if you really get sucked into the story, you begin to think of things that must exist in that world, and you begin to think of li- of your own little stories involved mm-hmm. in that. That is what I think of when I think of him looking through the window, only he seeing what is presented, but he envisions so much more. It isn't simply, oh no, I've lost my chance to look at Archer mm-hmm. standing on on the edge of a room. This no, he he envisions greater lives for these people. He envisions a world with, where he himself is looking, is, is, is a part of this world, which is, in his opinion, so much better than his world. Although I would argue that at some point in time, there was some guy in Golden Dragon City who bought a window from a fellow... <laughs> And he's looking through the window, and he's seeing this magical land of smoke and 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 double decker decker buses. And he he destroyed his window too when he was watching the when he was watching the birds from the sky rain down destructive eggs on his wonderful city, his city that he calls London, or if wow. you will. Lion City, or, or, or oh, in, nice. in his context, he's looking through, watching the Nazis, and he's trying to break well, the it, window. Make it World War One. Make it World War One. True enough. That would be, that would be, well. It's all a little more contemporary. That would that would be. Uh, but, let's see the, the Zeppelins. Zeppelins. Yes, Zeppelins. the Zeppelin terror. So, uh, uh, so what you're saying is the wonderful Window Two by John Feaster is in the works. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm. Yeah, of course, that's what I'm working on. Uh, this is. It's too early, really. It's too early to be it. But if this story were written just five or ten years later, would we or would we not assume that the Red Bear was communist Russia? Sure, sure. But if, but that's that's like a bullshit justification. If you were to hand somebody the story and forward date it to 1922, a person yeah. would go, oh, yes, of course, this is obviously what it means. But I don't yeah. think that concept really even existed then. I mean, communism did exist, but there was no... Well, they certainly weren't the Red Bear, though, right? Precisely. I mean, yeah. Uh, it, what, what's so interesting about it is, is it's not about our world, right? It's about escape to the secondary world, and about how i mean this is the other thing is is in school they beat you down until your imagination is in the proper shape for business i mean that's why business is capitalized mm-hmm. in this story right you're beaten down into the proper shape for business and eventually even though he's the quote unquote silliest man in london right he has his own business the silliest man in capital business it, right oh, it, it, the silliest man in business that's right but the, th- um, the thing that that I think about that is, uh, well, like I said, Joshi says it's the death of innocence or or whatever the heck, or he, his he, growing up perspective. But he, yeah. th- this the window doesn't impede him. He doesn't he doesn't spend a great he doesn't seem to be the sort of person who spent a great deal of time outside of his home in the first place he didn't no, there's no description did. that he had all these friends and he had a girlfriend and he drops them to stare in this window the window is a continuation of his life it, it's it doesn't impede his any his his relationship with any other person he never blows off work so he can just sit home and stare at the window when he watches the fight start when 
when he watches everything start, he's, oh my god, so that's so horrible. Well, I've got to go to work. Well, there's a line from the story that I think, yeah, totally supports that. It says, um, a touch of romance, a mere suggestion of it, would send his eyes gazing away as though the walls of the Emporium were of Gossamer, and London itself a myth, instead of attending to his customers. Right? <laughs> the whole point was, he's daydreaming! And then he gets this window, and he's daydreaming, right? Well, we, um, of course, also don't know... We don't know what business he's involved in. Mr. Zmergen uh, and Chater. Isn't it a clothing business? I thought... Well, no, was, he wears a frock coat, but I don't yeah. think there's any... I, thought, I think he's not working on Savile Row or something. I... I hope it's a bookstore. Uh, <laughs> it would make it, it would be happier. But still, what? could be clothes, yes. I think I have a feeling it's a book. I, I have a feeling it's a... Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. That's what I envisioned was like it was a... It was an emporium, too, which the word is almost itself romantic, right? Yes. Uh, was, wasn't wasn't the, uh, the crystal egg purchased in an emporium? Uh, it was a, basically a, just it's a, a junk shop. A right? high, exactly a high class equivalent of a junk shop. Today, yeah. one might <laughs> I suppose a, a oh god, Walmart sure, wouldn't yeah. Walmart wouldn't be a wouldn't be an emporium. It would be a soul crushing no. emporium. Soul crushing emporium. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, but uh, I think that the, the lines in there, like for example, uh, is, is it after the windows crushed or before he can hear the. Cr- the howling of the newsboys, right? The, to us, that would be like the sound of construction or something, uh, some mechanical, hor- horrible noise. Airy and dizzy the distance was, for Mr. Sladen seemed higher above the city than any cathedral gargoyle. Yet one clear detail he obtained as a clue. The banners floating from every tower over the idle archers had little golden dragons all over a pure white field. He heard motor buses roar out by his window. He heard the newsboys howling. Mm-hmm. And it, he hears nothing from the window. Everything he, everything in the window is anything he would hear is is, is just him assuming he sees the birds fly off from belfries every mm-hmm. hour, and so he assumes well the rooks or whatever that he hears them fly off of the belfries. So he assumes that there must yeah there must be chimes. Although that does also make me think. Wait a minute, belfries going three hours. This a Christ, are, are there Christian churches here? It, it totally is a fantasy world because it's it's not alien enough to which be an it, alien world which like, makes like you, makes you, crystal egg. What, once right. again, it it puts you in line a little bit of Game of Thrones, where it's exactly. it's these these are the seven, which is base basically their equivalent of the Christ, of the Christian Church arrayed mm-hmm. in its own way. This is our symbol. This is what we say. These are these are our priests and these are our nuns and so forth. Mm-hmm. The whole the whole um, the whole premise of the story is to get us into this mood i think and the effect like the those details about the golden dragons i mean dragons are just the most evocative fantasy animal there is right you could he could have said unicorns but um the bears are themselves evocative right but bears are also bears are much more real bears also exist thus in a strange way it's reality crushing his imagination Exactly. Or some people would envision it that way. Yeah. But even when he romanticizes it, right, it's no longer a white field. It's an argent field, right? It's a, it's a silver field. Mm-hmm. The, the effort, and it's like, if this is a story about a guy who's a super fan of his show. Uh, he, he's doing lots of research on the Internet to try and find out what's going to happen next. But really, he's making the story himself because the story, uh, the plot of the, what's going on through the window, is all of his own imagination. We don't know why that city's being attacked, or even what 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 prompts it. Right? Those details are left to his imagination, not even to ours through him. Mm-hmm. But he has aligned himself so closely with the city that you know he he wants to. He's going to stop the war? He's going to stop the invasion? It just, with his one candlestick or whatever he's throwing out the window? It, it's it's plus a symbolic in his own way. He would fight for his little golden dragons yet. Exactly. Uh, have you seen a movie called Darkon? I'm, I'm currently watching it. 
Darkon. 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 Uh, it's a 2006 documentary about uh, a group of LARPers, fantasy, uh, real-life, live-action role-players. I have heard of it. Okay. I have never seen it. It's it's interesting, good, and sad. The interesting and good part is it's a well-done documentary. Um, it's an interesting subject. And it's sad because the people in it are living fantasy lives on the weekend while they are living basically terrible, boring lives during the daytime, during the weekdays. You know, people work at... One guy works at a cardboard factory. Mm-hmm. Another guy works at Starbucks and is a student. Another guy, a lady, lives in her basement of her mom's house with her kid. You know, they have what I would say are typically American lower middle class jobs, which means upper lower class jobs. Precisely. Um, And they spend all their time hoping and living for the fantasy world that they create with each other uh, on the weekends, every second weekend. And it's fascinating in the sense that it's a peek inside that world, but it's also ultimately very sad because... It's very, Even it's, though they are actually participating and, you know, saying, I'm not reading the books, I'm living the books. <laughs> um, what they're living doesn't seem that interesting to me. It seems like bad fiction. It's similar, I suppose, to uh, the experience that the average person has with religion in the context of, oh, well, I'm doing what I'm doing now, but you feel you're, you're mm. plunking away god dollars so, so that you can spend them in your afterlife and get right. the nice cloud or a good reincar- reincarnation or whatever. In that context, it's no more delusion, delusional than religion. Oh, no, it's than way religion, less delusional. That it's no more delusional than religion, and in so way, and at least you're getting a little bit of it here. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's way less delusional because they know they're, you know, it, this is the issue, right? When I was playing Dungeons and Dragons back in 1981 or whatever it was, I was told uh, by people who didn't know Diddly Squat and still probably don't know Diddly Squat that it was going to warp my brain and I was going to be uh, murdering people. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, that was the popular conception. It was the, the equivalent of... Uh, whatever it's on the news today, you know, propaganda about video games, you know, doing the exact same thing, or music, or Elvis's hips, or whatever it is. Yes. Um, There's always comic- going to be something. KISS has to stand for Knights and Satan service, because if it doesn't, right. then there's no reason for me to march. And the marching and the waving of signs and howling of slogans is more important than the subject you're marching against. To some people, it is. So the these... These people are—they're um, not delusional. They know exactly what's going on. But the the insight that the documentary provides is that this is the best thing in their life. And you know, maybe they have some fun eating dinner with their family and stuff. But it's like, geez, you guys need to have better jobs. You need to be um, having more. Not every second weekend. Wouldn't it be great if you could go every weekend or every third day? It was just like a lot of, you know, documentaries where they show Detroit in ruins or whatever it is, and people scrounging on the leftovers of... It's depressing in that way, but the people here aren't saying, you know, let's go out to Wall Street and demonstrate and try and overthrow the government. Um, They're like, well, at least we can escape to the weekend. Uh, It's sad, but first first off, I'm from that ruined Detroit. I know. And my neighborhood looks like a hellhole these days. But that being said, um I under I was thinking about the about the wind this frickin' story all week. The concepts involved involved. I enjoy my work reasonably well, but yeah. I still bring you know, I still bring uh, podcasts to work to listen to to <laughs> Stave to stave off the the rats gnawing at the back of your head. You're just mm. run, you're just running running on a wheel, making money for other people, and you're doing nothing for yourself. Things like that. But despite <laughs> all that, my window is every week for about four hours. I get to play D and D with my mm-hmm. with my gaming group. 
on Mondays, whenever I have the chance, when work doesn't doesn't steal in, and I'm sorry, we have to blow off this week. I have to be there because somebody couldn't uh, couldn't Mm-mm. be an adult or whatever. In, in this in this context, I understand everything that this man feels, and honestly speaking, it's as soul crushing as the story can be it is also in its own way so beautiful that peak oh, that, yeah. that this that that 100 years ago well 102, 102 years 3 years ago at least lord dunsany would have and i know that's not really his name it's just it's just his title Edward. and his family title but it's it's not his birth name he wasn't didn't pop out of the womb i name you lord dunsany or Dunsany, it depends on the pronunciations. I don't know, different different area of the of the continent. I'm certain. Pe- I'm certain people in France would say it completely differently. Um, that he would understand my feelings in this sense. Uh, it's one of the things that puts me closer to, puts me closer to uh, people like H. G. Wells. The the thought mm-hmm. of him uh, playing toy soldiers on his on his floor not like a child but writing up rules and mm-hmm. no no these can advance this many inches these can advance this this can fire this this can't fire that far these can only do this and and creating in his own way the the the, the rules of modern of modern wargaming or at least the the, mm-hmm. the the start of modern wargaming though granted we have different you know opinions i'm i'm not very close to hg wells i think spiritually but I appreciate this work. But still, he's much more interested in violence, it seems, than mm. I, than I am. Uh, Empire, Dad, blast it! You read some of those stories, and you you just know, you just know that as they were writing it, they were they were saying to themselves, "Of course, white people are right. Why wouldn't we?" Be? Well, it's a not, it's not an unvarnished. Uh, but that uh, in its own sense, is a, that in its own sense is evocative as well. Mm-hmm. It, we, this this dang story with his with the protagonist who is not really doomed because Mr. Sladen doesn't die at the end and it's not as though it's not as though oh. he ever forgets this city he 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 spends his time afterwards from either from books or men you know he has he has had to have said uh, have you ever heard of this 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 and he's hoping to find something out mm-hmm. He's hoping, in a strange way, that it's real and that maybe this city, which we think of as an impossible fantasy, really existed in 14th century Hungary, mm-hmm. and that that that, that it really did ex- did exist. And in some strange way, I think going there to whatever city it w- it would originally have been would be exciting for him, even though he knows it's. Done, it, it's done. That 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 history is over. Five hundred years in the past. You know, going with uh, with that theory. Mm-hmm. The concept is is the concept of the city. The concept behind it is so much more important than the reality. And yet, he never abandons the reality around him. He never becomes. He never ditches work. He never. Dodges his personal responsibilities. One can assume he has family, possibly friends, but one's also under the impression that maybe though maybe nobody is really very close to him, even at the start of the story. Well, I'm 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 always thinking about names hmm? of characters. Uh, the I did a novel recently called. Um, uh, I want to say the Gunaway World, but that's not what it's called. It's called Angel Maker, and oh, yeah. the author, yeah, and the author is, you know, he names everybody. Has a the best friend is named Friend. Yeah, the main character is named Spork. You know, <laughs> half spoon, half spork. Ha ha ha. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of the names have some sort of joke name to them. Um, I, I we're, we're going to talk about Carmilla, Carmilla, right? Mm. Um, and uh, one of the first names in that book is um, other than Carmilla, which itself is a is quite a caramel sort of um, savory name. The the name of the castle is Karnstein, right? It's like Karnstein. Oh, flesh stone. Nice. Um, what do you think about 
Mergen and Chater. Mr. <sighs> Mergen and Chater. I was thinking Margin and Cheater. I was thinking, but actually, because I wasn't certain what to, what to make of it at first, I was thinking it might possibly be, well, I was thinking Merger and Cheater, and I was picturing it a, a place of people just in, in, in rows, uh, balancing books and yeah. and managing yeah. other people's accounts some sort of horrible soul crushing exactly in, in that context very dickensesque but i don't know if such a place would really have existed uh, you might have have a bookkeeper and you might possibly have a group of little bookkeepers but this is an emporium this is isn't in that context but every time i think of it i think of i think of businessy business of numbers mm-hmm. and books and balances and checks mm-hmm. and well, that's really what it is, though. So, if you go to uh, if you go to you know a used bookstore that's owned by its owner, run by its owner, mm-hmm. you're getting that that guy's fantasy of his job. He didn't go into that business to make money, right? Mm-hmm. He's there because he likes books, and oh, he needs to make money. Right? And so he he'll wants sell to share books. that love of books with other people. Uh, yes, but eventually, you know, he has to. If he's going to stay in business, he has to start selling books that he doesn't necessarily like. Precisely, right? because if you only sell the books you like, you end up not having a bookstore. Um, but then you go to, you know, down the street. I've got a business called Chapters. It's the only uh, bookstore left in Canada that's, you know, a chain that's it, it ate everything else, Amazon, mm-hmm. etc. When you go in there, the people who work in there don't really love books necessarily. They, they're there for their job. And the people who buy the books don't really necessarily buy, love books. They're there to make profits for the corporation, right? Mm-hmm. So the artificial love of books that's there is artificial. But you can still get books there. So, you know, it's, it's sort of a deal. But um, when you've got these sort of quasi-old-fashioned, uh, you know, emporiums, they are kind of more like um, the way Scrooge would run his business. He wants to be his own boss. So Mergen and Chater probably aren't bad guys. No. They they employ this this sort of dreamy young man. Um, Don't fire him, even though they don't pay him very much. He lives in a crappy one-room of space with only room for key things. Yes, that's that's another thing. I I wonder how evocative that is of real life yes he's, he's got the one nice coat that he takes very good care of because he has to wear it to work every day that's right and, it, and like it didn't sound like there was room for um a, a bathroom i think it's probably a shared bathroom um probably no uh no other room just a bed a bed a window a wall and some tea things because he can't he can boil some water but he can't uh, you know make dinner he has to eat out. It's it's a very sad existence that a lot of people are having today. Yeah. This we ended on a happy note though. Escape escapism. <laughs> this is a story about fantasy and escapism, and it may go a little sour for Mister Sladen, but honestly, doesn't it always go sour? You love that author, but congratulations. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you enjoy the Ring series and The Hobbit, and guess what? You can reread that again if you want, because once you get past the Cimmerillion, there, there's, there's not much else. That's it. it. I, I love, uh, I love the, the works of, of certain, science, certain authors, and when they're gone, they're gone. I, w- once I've reached the, the end of Elmore Leonard... Or or Jack L. Chalker uh, to, to pick up two incredible extremes. Mm-hmm. Once I le- reach the end, that's just it. That um, uh, unless something happens, like uh, was it Jack Chalker supposedly still has a one, like the final book to his River of the Dancing God series, all written, all done. But the publisher was like, nah, let's not. It, it wouldn't pay to publish it, and he's dead now. So I. I mean, I, sp- I spoke with him once. He said, it's done. It's there. It's sitting there. It's, there's, there's no point. I said, can you put it online? He said, there's really no point. There doesn't seem to be that much, that's much need for it. And besides, it needs to be cleaned up. 
So it's just sitting there. And I mm. think about and I think of it it's like an unthought fantasy in that context. Maybe mm. it'll it'll come it'll it'll come out someday, but probably not. And once no, you're done game big once, enough and once you know, you're done reading old toilet paper and, and put that up. Once you're done reading something, it's it's finished. Yeah. You 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 much like Mr. Slayton, he's reached the end of Golden Dragon City the same way you've closed the last book of Lord of the Rings. You can think about what happened before. You can maybe go back and, and reread it, which in that sense makes makes Lord of the Rings a better thing than the Wonderful mm-hmm. Window because he can't go back and relive other days. It's horrific how it just keeps co- going at him, like like old fashioned television watching. You can't pause or anything. Mm-hmm. If you have to go to the bathroom, you're going to miss something. Mm-hmm. And every day he goes to work. And the city goes on. But does the city really go on? If you were to walk into Mr. Sladen's room and peek through his window, would you have seen Golden Dragon City? I think well, it's a reflection of his I think it's a reflection inside his head. Yeah. I think I think that if you were the right kind of person you would have seen something. Oh, definitely. But if you're, you know, the the mailman who Or Mr. Murgan and Shater. Sl- rats and <laughs> Rat this racing. window goes nowhere. Yeah. I think, though, the fact that he's the one who smashes it, as opposed to, um, you know, having it broken in some accident or, you know, having someone mean come in and do it. I mean, that would change the story in many other ways. But the fact that he is participating, even in a delusion, delusional way, makes it a much happier story than... Um, than if it had been broken by someone else. You know, that kind of story That and really devastating. My theory sort of falls apart a little bit there at the end where he drew back and hurled the poker. Then came to him the scent of mysterious right. spices. Right. And then there was nothing more, nothing there. The scent of those spices. Are, it was just for a moment. It was a breath before the portal closed. Mm-hmm. It was a breath of what it must sme- what it must be like in Golden Dragon City, and it was those spices, not say the smoke of burning, that mm. came to him. Well, it wasn't the television. Well, yes, I know, but no, no, no. In the context of his Golden Dragon City, oh, is on fire. The, the city on fire. Yes, yes, yes I got you. Wasn't a television, oh. you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. No, I, I uh, definitely not a television. I love I love this story. It, it's it's such a it's such a beautiful and yet tragic and sad, but also triumphant story. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.